Hey, we're continuing in our study of the book of Acts. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 13. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses of that chapter today. So while you do that, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin. We have printed the entire chapter there. And while you do, let me uh, read God's word. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had, assist, they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, which is like a governor, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Not long ago, I finished reading the biography of a well-known Christian man and theologian. And when I had finished the book, I had one primary thought. I hate Christian biographies. <laughs> okay, by and large, I hate them. They're not all bad. But let me tell you why. As I read that book, the individual that was being put before me came out smelling like roses. To my recollection, there wasn't one place in that entire book where the author recounted the humanity, the sin, or the significant struggles of this person. The book more, read more like hagiography, which is like a book about a saint than it did a biography, a book about a man's life. I mean, as I read the book, this individual only got bigger and bigger he became this unrelatable giant who simply crushed me under the weight of his righteousness and accomplishments. All I could think when reading this was, I can't write a sermon on a three by five card and then leave it in my study, then come before you and preach off the top of my head. I don't have the mind to grasp and communicate these deep philosophical truths and realities of this world. I won't write my best-selling book in just a few sittings. So in essence, as I finished the book, the three refrains was, I can't, I don't, I won't. Do you ever feel this way, Christians? 
whether reading biographies or simply being around people that you, you respect. Like, I respect this man. This has nothing to do about the man that I read the biography. It has nothing to do. It's just the way that it was presented and the way that you interact with people. You just feel overwhelmed, not encouraged, discouraged, not inflated and, in, and ready to do things, but simply deflated. Do you ever have this? I think there's a better way we can do biography, a way that encourages rather than discourages, a way that inspires rather than deflates. And that's what I wanna do this morning. I want us to consider the history of Acts 13 and kind of give a biographical sketch of one of the most significant individuals in all the world, but certainly of Christendom. And I'm referring to the Apostle Paul, or as he's referred to in the beginning of this story as Saul, and then as, as we get to see in the middle of the story, his name turns to Paul. And if you're wondering why did it go from Saul to Paul, it's because of who he's going to. At first, Saul was deeply connected to the Jews. And if you know anything of the Old Testament, Saul played a prominent part in Jewish history. He was the first king of Israel. He was the one that David replaced. He was the one who was too afraid to face Goliath that David did. Saul, from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul, this man, was also from the tribe of Benjamin. So his name had a very Jewish heritage. But what's interesting about this man, Paul, is that he was actually born in a Roman area. And so what we'll see here is that he's going to Romans now and to Gentiles and people that aren't of Jewish faith. And so his name becomes Paul, a much more common name. So it's not really like, oh, his name was transformed. It's just simply the context, Saul to Paul. And so this man named Paul, who's the most illustrative Christian that has ever lived, is before us. And what we have in Acts 13 is the very beginning of the most illustrious Christian career ever before us. And so we're going to do biography of the most illustrious Christian man based off of this one text. And I think this one text, and this is what I want to see, and it's perhaps my thesis for you, or my, 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 what I want, I think this particular text forms the foundation for how we are to see him for the rest of his life. This one text, it's the beginning of his career. I mean, this career includes 13 writings that makes their way into the Bible. This career includes starting churches throughout the whole Roman Empire, a career that would see him preach to kings and queens and even recount a time when he had a hand in a Roman governor believing in Jesus. I mean, it's not a stretch for me to say that this is a biography that we need to interact with, a man who's decorated, accomplished. But the question is, how are we gonna do biography? We need to do biography through the history of the scriptures. I mean, it's so easy for us to look at Paul and think, why? I'm not Paul. I can't do what he did. I don't have access to kings and queens. I won't ever be able to have a hand in helping people believe. And it's so easy for us to just totally disconnect. One of my favorite pastors, he likes to say this, and I've said this before. I mean, like, I, mean, I eat Doritos at 2 a.m. in the morning. I can't write books. I'm not this guy. We just, we think that, we can't be like, so what do we, here's the thing, let's look closer. Let's look at closer at Paul's life that we might not be discouraged when we do biographies, but that we'd be encouraged. Not that we'd be deflated, but that we'd be inflated so that we might do what God has called us to do. Because when we look at Paul's career, what we're gonna see is something much greater than one man. We're gonna see much, something much more beautiful that doesn't say I can't, I don't, and I won't, but I can, I do, and I will. Let's look at the text. 
in three different places in this text that we just read, there is one person that takes the center stage, and his name is not Paul. It's the Holy Spirit. At the center of the most illustrious Christian career, the center of the most foundational start that shapes this man's life is not Paul, but the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who we must focus on. It is the Holy Spirit who's responsible for the great accomplishments that we often give to Paul and not to God. It is the Holy Spirit who we must give credit for and give credit where credit is due. And so I want us to see Paul in the context of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see Paul as he sees himself, not as some great Christian, but as an instrument in the hands of God doing wonderful things and seeing in such that way that you can see that you yourself are an instrument in the hand of God in a unique place, in a unique time, in a unique setting so that you can indeed say, I can, I do, and I will. There's three chapters, though. Let's look at these. There's three chapters. It's three chapters. It's just a way for me to frame it in your mind, okay? There's three different chapters of this little story that I want to look at to see how God is the center of this story, that God is actually at the heart of Paul's life, not Paul himself. And so the first chapter that we're going to look at is a chapter that I called, titled, God Calls. God Calls. So let's study chapter one, God Calls. Let's recall the story again, the story that we've read. There are these Christian leaders in this city named Antioch. And they're hanging out, worshiping, praying, and fasting. And in the midst of this time, the Holy Spirit speaks. And what does the Holy Spirit speak? Verse 2. The Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, the, the message seems bizarre, but it implies that there's been an earlier message communicated to them. That Saul has been called to a work. Now, they knew this work. Because in Acts chapter 9, God communicates the very calling of Paul's life. What is that in Acts chapter 9? Here we read God speaking to a man named Ananias in the city of Damascus. And he's saying to Ananias about Saul, Paul, that here is, here's who Saul is. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So, so here's what I want you to see. In Antioch, God speaks and says, it's time. It's time for you, Paul, and Barnabas to go on the mission that I've called you to, a mission that I have brought you in in a miraculous way. For if you recall Acts chapter 9, Paul was going to Damascus to persecute Christians, and God stopped him right in his tracks and says, you ain't persecuting me anymore. You're actually going to promote me. And this is what happens. So now, here we have God calling Paul to do the very thing he has called him to do, and that is to be an instrument to the Gentiles and kings. What I want you to see, though, is that Paul is a perfect candidate for this calling. His skill set, who he is, where he's been, equipped him to be able to do this very task. For, for Saul... Paul, I'm just going to call him Paul from now on, he was zealous in all that he did. He was zealous for the Jewish faith when he was a Jew, but he continued to be zealous for Jesus after he encountered Jesus. 
And of course, as we understand what, what Paul goes through, he had to be zealous because he experienced incredible trials and tribulations. You see, it was his temperament that enabled him to do the very thing that God called him to do. But more than that, Paul was a Roman citizen. He had the rights that a lot of the Jews didn't have rights to. So he can travel all on these Roman roads and do a lot of the things the Jews didn't have the privilege of doing. He was going to be bouncing around. Paul had the ability to do that. But not only that, he was well acquainted with the Jewish scriptures. And so he could understand what a Jew was and note, where did he go the first time he goes to Cyprus? Where did he and Barnabas go? They went to the synagogue. This is the place where the Jews packed, unpacked the scriptures of the Old Testament. So he's well acquainted with the scriptures, well versed. So he was incredibly intelligent. And if you've read his letters, you know, whoa, a lot of the times, this man's influential. I mean, the man continues to be influential today. But here's a man well acquainted with the scriptures that he would have to teach, well, very zealous for the very thing in the midst of, a, of, of very hardship and difficulties. Here was a man well acquainted for the very calling that God has placed on his life. What I want you to see is that God called the right man for this job for this specific period of time. We must not see him as this, oh, he is... He is to be set apart. He is not to be seen as like, oh, he, I eat Doritos and he's just so good. No. He simply called Paul for a specific purpose and a specific time. And Paul was uniquely called because of who he was. And I think this is really important when we consider our lives 2,000 years later. That God calls us on missions that is uniquely geared to who we are, where we go, where we've been. We have to see it in light of this. This is very much a part of how I got to Little Rock. Some of you have heard this story before. But if you know me, you, you know that I come from the big city in South Florida. And South Florida is not just this southern, you know, southern bells everywhere in South Florida. It's the southernmost borough of New York City. I don't know. You know that, right? Like, it is the further south you go in Florida, the more northern you get culturally. So here I am. I'm, a, I'm culturally northern from Florida, and I meet a woman from Arab, Alabama. I mean, you want to talk about cultural difference. It's our family. Now, God in his providence brought me to a southern university in Tallahassee, Florida. And all that, we come together. Kimberly and I meet. We have this southern belle with this city slicker guy. And I feel called to be in ministry. And I say, God, where do you want me? Where are you going to take my family? We're, who we are? Who we're equipped to be? Where do you want us? Lord, I think you want us to be in Tallahassee, Florida. It's southern, but it's also, it's Florida. That's who I am. It's a beautiful blend of my family, of who we are, our gifts, our talents. And we said, yes, Lord, this is where, this is where we want. So we pursued Tallahassee, and then God started shutting the doors. Doom, 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 doom. What? Lord, I thought you were calling us to Tallahassee. No. I'm calling you somewhere else. So taking the knowledge that we had of who we are as a couple and who I was and who she was and my education and my experiences, we said, okay, I think you want us to be in the southeast United States, in a city, a city in the south. I think that's where we want to be. And so we started connecting with leaders in Atlanta, Nashville, Charlotte, Columbia, South Carolina, and Little Rock because we thought this is who we are. Now, we pursued this, and there were two places that really hit, Little Rock and Columbia. Now, when we found out about Little Rock, we found out that soon enough, there was a person that was already geared to be a pastor 
that starts a church in Little Rock in our denomination. And I was like, well, I, moved, I came to Little Rock to, to in, find interest, and it's not going to happen. But I met some interesting people. So then I go back, and I have an interview with the Columbia, South Carolina people. And my wife goes, no, this isn't place. God's not calling us to Columbia. And I was like, what? I got no job. Like, we're not going to Little Rock. That's a, we're, I mean, Columbia's it, babe. Like, that's it. And we spent an hour and a half after we left Columbia, South Carolina, not arguing, it was not arguing, but it was just wrestling with my calling, where is God calling me to, how is God going to uniquely gift us to be this, because I'm like, it's, it's Columbia, right, it's got to be, nope, and in the midst of that, I get a call from the pastor of a, of a church in the Little Rock area and said, hey, why don't you come work with me, and maybe God will sort some stuff out so that you can come to Little Rock, it wouldn't promise me anything. And Kimberly goes, I can do that. And I said, I can do that. And in the midst of that, God called Kimberly and I to move to Little Rock. Now, God in his providence made it in such a way that this church got started. But when I look back on all of that and how it all worked out, I do think, you know, God has uniquely called me to this place, in this setting, in this time. As I look back to my education, to my experiences, to Kimberly's education, to Kimberly's experience, I said yes to, to this time and to this place. God has called us, and I am so thankful. I mean, it was with great joy as we sat at Harvest Fest and I interacted with people in this community. I felt like I belonged to this community. God had called me to this space and to this time. And here's the thing. Just as God called Paul to be a light to the Gentiles, and he used his gifts and his background and his setting and his zeal. Just as he called me and Kimberly to our unique time, God has called you to this place in this time to use your gifts and to your settings here and now. And the question is, do you believe that? I mean, I'm not God speaking audibly as the Holy Spirit, but I am saying this is how God works. He uses your gifts your experiences, your setting, all that you've experienced to be right here where you are. And so let us not throw off the things of your life. No, consider them. This is how God works. This is how he works in life. So consider your life, your upbringing, your gifts, your influence, your intellect, your passions, your zeal, your desires, your strength. Consider how God has called you to be here in Little Rock for this time, or wherever you are. Consider these things and give those things away just as Paul and I have done. You are no mistake, and you're not in this place in this time as if you're a mistake. Your life is meant to be used by God for the glory of his name and for your good. Oh, that you would have eyes to see and ears to see how God has called you in this place. Friends, if you're sitting there going, how, has, like, how can I be a service to the church? Like, I'm nothing. Well, I'm gonna get into that a little bit more. But here's one thing that I want you to do. Ask someone in your life, someone you trust, how, how am I good? That's a hard thing to ask because we're so afraid of being prideful. Like, how, how have I been a blessing to this place? A ask them. What ways do you think that God has, has made me that I can be a blessing? Ask them. Because God has called you uniquely. So ask. So chapter one of, the, of this incredible biography of Paul highlights the calling of God. God's call on Paul's life. 
and how it's not supposed to be this crazy unique. Yes, he accomplished great things, but it's not this crazy unique thing. It's a, a unique man for a unique time and a unique mission that you and I aren't called to. And we can follow along with this. That's how chapter one's. And I want more than anything for you to say, I can do that. I can do that. Second, chapter two. What I want you to see in chapter two here is this, that God sends. God sends. It's not Paul who sends. It's God who sends. The calling on Paul and Barnabas, it's quite, it's quite clear. Look at verse four. Look at what it says. So being sent out by who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sends them out. Here we have a description of, of Paul and Barnabas and John leaving Antioch in obedience to the Holy Spirit in their calling. They're leaving, and the Holy Spirit is sending them out. But the question for us is this. How is the Holy Spirit sending them out? Like, what are the descriptive ways that we can understand what this means? Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. And I think this is the key to understanding how the Holy Spirit sends then after fasting and praying, they, that being the church in Antioch, laid their hands on them and sent them off. Here's what I want you to see. It's very simple. The God, the, the triune God sends his people on mission and community. And even if you are the one going or the one sending, you are being used by God to accomplish his purposes. God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. And if you are the one preaching like I am or the one sending, it doesn't matter. God's the one doing it. We have to see that God's sending is deeply connected to the church, that it is not to be focused solely on Paul. That's where our mind goes. There's so much more going on in Paul's work than just Paul. You realize that, right? There's people laying their hands on him. There's people sending money to him. There's people praying for him. There's people fasting for him. There's people assisting him like John, John Mark. There's people with him like Barnabas, teaching when he can't teach no more. Paul is not to be some purpose. He, no, God is sending him, but he's sending him not by himself. And we have to see this. I was reminded of this in 2018 when a Chinese pastor named Wang Ji from Early Rain Covenant Church was arrested for teaching the gospel. Wang Ji spoke against the communist regime there, but here's why this story hit home to me. And this was headline news in the New York Times. Headline, it's on the headline. Wang Ji arrested for opposing communist party. Early Rain Covenant Church. Here's why it hit home. Because it reminded me that God sends, and here's how it sends. There was a man, I'm not gonna say his name for communist purposes, a friend of mine who was Wang Ji's mentor. I knew this man, he taught me. And he helped disciple Wang Ji. And you know who compelled my friend to go to China so that he can mentor him? My dad. My dad sent him money so that he could go to China to disciple Wang Ji, and then Wang Ji is presenting the gospel and is making waves in the underground church in all of China, and he's being arrested, and then he's writing these profound gospel letters in the, in the jail of China, and I'm going, praise God for Wang Ji. 
But praise God for the people that sent him there. And praise God for my dad who gave him the resources to go there. It's not just about Wang Ji. It's about the people that enable them to go. God is sending Wang Ji, but he's sending him with people all around him. So the question is, okay, I'm not going to be preaching to governors and kings, but you might be the one sending. You might be the one praying. You might be the one encouraging. And this is no small feat. This is God using you. It's not you saying to yourself, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go. I don't want to go to Cyprus and walk across Cyprus and preach the gospel there. I don't have the ability to do that. I got a job and I need a job. That's fine. But you can be a part of this beautiful gospel God mission by doing the part God has called you to. It's not about Paul. It's about God accomplishing his purposes, sending Paul through the church. We cannot see Paul's ministry without the church. It's written right there for you in the text. It's history. Yes, Paul is to be celebrated, but so is the church, and that's what I want to bring out for you today. You serve a purpose. If you aren't preaching, you know that, right? You do. You serve a purpose for the mission of God, and this is no small thing. Oh, that you would say, I can do that. Not, I can't do that. Figure out ways that you can do that. You know, there are people that come here like Sunday mornings and they set up chairs and, and there's a temptation just like, this is so boring, this is so stupid. But you do realize that it serves the mission of the church. There are people who go downstairs and serve the children and they, they, they take the time out of their Sunday morning where they could be being poured into by the word and they're pouring out of themselves to the children of this church so that the mission of God might go forward. And there are people who showed up at Harvest Fest and passed out tracts and handed out water bottles and interacted with the people in the city. Like, these are not like big things, but they're things that God uses for the mission of the church. You get to do now, that. The story of Saul and his team in Cyprus fascinates me. This is the home of Barnabas. They, they chose Barnabas' home island as the first place where they would go on their missionary journeys. And if you want to know, this island is about the size of Puerto Rico. And so they go down to Seleucia. You see that. They go down from Antioch to Seleucia. It's about an 18-mile journey. And then they go on boat from Seleucia all the way to the east coast of Cyprus. And there they begin to share the gospel in the synagogues. But then they travel across the entire country of Cyprus. And you can look on this map. And they end up in a place called Paphos. Now, we know without question that what they were saying and communicating in the synagogues started to make an impact on this island, so much so that the governor of the island, a Roman proconsul, that's what he's, he's, he's like essentially an arm of the Roman emperor, he is fascinated by what they're saying. And so he's like, I want to hear what you guys have to say because it's causing this stir. But one of his... One of his kind of confidants, a man named Bar-Jesus, is like, no, 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 no. And he gets in the way, and we have this confrontation. And it's a, it's a profound confrontation between Bar-Jesus and Paul and Barnabas, right? So it's a fascinating story. And what we see here is Paul has to overcome this evil prophet, but he also has to overcome this Roman Gentile who has, he probably has some clue what's going on. 
But, but this Roman Gentile who is curious about this faith, I mean, think of like someone you would think never would come to faith. So he's got these two great barriers in his life. How is he going to overcome these great barriers? Look at verse nine. Is it Paul that overcomes it? <laughs> no. <laughs> verse nine. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at Bar-Jesus and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, you will, not, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And then immediately, mist and darkness fell on him, and when he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand, and look what happened. The proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Who was it that brought about the making mute the person that was trying to distract? Who helped the person believe in Jesus? Who was it? Was it Paul? It was the Holy Spirit. God empowers. Kimberly has this friend who was the inspiration for what we did yesterday at Harvest Fest, and she was at this street festival just like we had yesterday on Kavanaugh. And on the street festival, she received this water bottle, and on the water bottle, it described the Christian faith. And she read this on this water bottle and was inspired and goes, huh. On the water bottle, it said, you know, contact Jim if you want to find out more. She did. And in the process of contacting Jim, she came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the most bizarre, one of the most bizarre stories of salvation that I've ever heard. An inanimate object, a water bottle, leading to salvation. If God can use a water bottle to accomplish his purposes, to empower death to life, how can he not use you? Not only an animate object, but an object made in the image of God. He certainly can use you. Paul understood it. He understood that he was with the Holy Spirit, and so he went to Cyprus and he just spoke. And if you talk to, if you look at Paul's writings, he says clearly, "I am a terrible orator." He was terrible. He probably, has any preacher, and I certainly can't be this way, so I can boast a little bit over Paul. Paul bored someone to death. You know that, right? He was terrible. The guy was listening to Paul. He fell asleep, fell out of the window, and died, okay? If Paul can use the most boring, or if God can use Paul, the most boring preacher of all time, he can use you. Oh, that you would know that the Holy Spirit is with you and it can empower the dead to life. Oh, that you would know that you go with the Spirit who can overcome even the devil. Oh, that we would believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and that we would not cower in fear to the things of this world and to Satan. Oh, that we would know that to God be the glory for those who come to faith. This is not about Paul. Paul would say the same thing. This is about God and God empowering through Paul. God empowers through you. Do you know that? 
You see, when we know that, we won't say, I won't ever be able to do that. I will do that. I'll make a mess and a fool of myself because it's ultimately about God. God is the, like the, the subject of this story. It's not Paul, and oh, that we would see that. Acts 13 makes this abundantly, abundantly clear. Look, in 1988, John Piper, a pastor, a former pastor of a church in Minnesota, founded this pastor's conference that was designed to instruct pastors through the teaching uh, of different pastors and through fellowship. But at this conference, Piper would always speak on an inspiring biography of someone in the church. And of all his content, if you want to know the truth, of all the things that John Piper has ever written, said, these are my favorite uh, John Piper content. And it's because of this. When he starts each of these biographies, he asks this question, what shall we make of such a person? For they are neither a God nor a goal. They should not be worshiped or envied. For they are too small for the one and too big for the other. If we worship such men, we are idolaters. If we envy them, we are fools. Mountains are not meant to be envied. They are meant to be marveled at for the sake of their maker. They are mountains of God. We are to benefit from them without craving to be like them. When we learn this, we can relax and enjoy them. And he says this. Let us be, by the grace of God, all that we can be for the glory of God. In our smallness, let us not become smaller by envy, but rather larger by humble admiration and gratitude for the gifts of others. So let us listen to this life. The truth is I love Christian biographies, especially one where the humanity and realness of those people are put before us because what it does is it makes my mind go from that person to the God who inspired those persons. And that's what I've tried to do for you today. We've looked at this man, Paul, one of the greatest Christian missionaries, if not the greatest Christian missionary of all time, and we've looked at the foundation of his ministry, and it is not Paul who we highlight, it is God. For God calls, God sends, and God empowers. Church, we can, we do, and we will look to him. Let me pray. Jesus, we give thanks to you for calling us for what a calling we have to be your people, people of such a great salvation. Help us, O oh Lord. Help us, O oh Lord, in our struggles and in our life to be great missionaries for the sake of your name. And if that means you, you, you've called us to be a great uh, financial provider of missionary work, if that means you've called us to be great teachers, if you've called us to be great mothers and fathers and employees, whatever it might be, oh, that we would do it for the glory of your name. Let us not wallow in ourselves saying, I can't, I won't, I don't. Let us look to you and know that we can be encouraged by the work you are doing. To you be the praise, to you be the honor, to you be the glory, amen.